Here at IMC, we believe half of financial literacy is about knowledge. Now that other half, now that's lifestyle. It's the way you live. It's the way you move. So together we are going to demystify this good old world of finance and wealth building through our intentional guests and dialogue. Make sure you subscribe, stay tuned, and of course, stay planted. All right, good people, we are back for another episode of an IMC recap. It is August 12, 2021. Uh, we have a number of different topics that we are going to walk through today. Make sure you stay to the end. Uh, the video that will be uh, released tomorrow is actually going to be a video I am going to be reacting to. So I'm going to play a clip of that video at the end of today's uh, recap. So be sure to check it out. I think you'll enjoy it. And I'm also looking forward to myself. So let's go ahead and jump right in. Okay. So if you've been keeping up with the news, uh, there is an entertainer and an artist called Cor uh, excuse me, Tory Lanez, my bad, bro. Uh, Tory, Tory Lanez in which recently announced a very special project. So the craze around cryptocurrency and blockchain technology is starting to manifest itself in so many different uh, ways. But ultimately, this uh, artist here actually uh, sold about one million copies uh, of his first ever streaming NFT album, uh, When It's Dark, which is the name of the album. Uh, and he claims that he sold one million copies in just 57 seconds. So Tory Lanez partnered with a platform that allowed him to produce his seven uh, track album uh, through the form of an NFT that allowed individuals to purchase his album for the price of one dollar. So he sold out within a minute. Again, a million copies within a million uh, within a minute. Uh, ultimately, that's a million dollars he was able to generate. Um, and this is the platform in which you were able to purchase this NFT. So as you can see that the album was definitely already released, no more pre-orders available, um, a very interesting business model. Uh, now, NFTs is something that has been utilized and said a lot, but I don't know if there has been a consensus on what an NFT is. So let's jump into it. So an NFT ultimately stands for a non-fungible token. Isaac, it sounded like you just cussed at me. <laughs> so a non-fungible token, if you think about it this way. So a non-fungible token, and we went to this website actually called The Verge. They have a, a number of different ways in which they explain NFTs. Uh, but what they have listed here is that non-fungible more or less means that it's unique and it can't be replaced with something else. So they use Bitcoin as an example of what is fungible, right? So fungible um, uh, example would be Bitcoin because you can trade one for another Bitcoin and you'll have exactly the same thing. Now, let's say you have a one of a kind card and you want to trade that for something else. The fact that the card is one of a kind, that makes it non-fungible, which means that you can ultimately create a different type of value around it, just like art. Right. Um, could be a Basquiat painting. It could be the Mona Lisa. There's a limited amount of the physical uh, representation of the asset. And so just imagine technology playing its role in digitizing that. And that's ultimately where we are today. 
Now, there's a whole bunch of different NFTs that's probably not going to be around 18 months from now, but I do think the overall concept has grown enough legs that really allowed technology to create a um, ultimately a transparent ledger that displays actual ownership of an asset. It's just digitally, right? And so just think of the things 20 years from now, what that's going to impact. You know, you can get a deed through an NFT. Um, you could buy property. And so there's just all these different ways in which, you know, this technology has been able to um, uh, break itself down or tokenize itself um, into different projects. And so shout out Tory Lanes. That is a, an exciting feat. Again, a million copies within a minute. He went platinum within one minute. Um, but I think the other thing to highlight is that those that acquired those uh, copies, they'll be able to sell that in the secondary market. Right. It's already increased value because it's new and there was a limited amount. And so those that will be able to resell it, I'm very curious to see what those prices are going to be because they only purchased it for a dollar. So stay tuned. We'll be sure to um, follow it as things evolve. But again, shout out the just the development of cryptocurrency and blockchain technology and how that's been able to permeate itself in all these different industries. Hall of Famer Deion Sanders says, if you look good, you play good. Here at The Planning Podcast, we believe that proper money management is important. And we also know that being financially fit represents the way in which you live. Now, just by listening to this podcast, you are part of the movement. And one of the most critical aspects of this is the way in which we spell planning. The A is replaced with the Delta sign. And those that are familiar with mathematics Delta represents change. A very consistent theme that we noticed that regardless of the objective, big or small, if you want any change to occur for the better, you're going to have to start planning. Be sure to check out our merchandise at www.stayplanning.com. S-T-A-Y-P-L-A-N-N-I-N-G. We'll see you there. All right, next in our topics we have now i don't know if it's dennis schroeder schroeder i couldn't even say tory i called him Corey earlier um but dennis we're going to say schroeder for the sake of time and i've been trying to find every way to look at his situation and not um i don't want to say beat him up but you know a, a number of the comments over time has been what is he doing so if you're not aware um, there was contract talks in December and discussions in February when this point guard was up for an extension. That was a four year, $83 million extension. Um, this athlete and this gentleman, Oh, Denny, um, he turned it down. He said, I'm gonna bet on myself. I think I am capable of a, at least a hundred, $120 million contract. Unfortunately, uh, he went into the free agent market and it did not go the way in which he anticipated. And he ended up signing, as you can see here up top, for $5.9 million one-year contract. So ultimately, he had the opportunity to extend his contract with the Lakers. Four years, $84 million, And as they said, bet on himself to see if he could make more in the market and yielded roughly about a 74, $75 million difference on what he could have 
already had on paper. Now, when I saw the story, I was like, whoa, interesting. When I thought about it a little bit more, I said, okay, now I don't keep up with sports. So some of y'all, you may beat me up. Like, man, you don't know what's going on with I don't keep up with sports as much just because of just, you know, busy. Um, so I looked at Dennis and I said, all right, how much money has he made within his NBA career? Schroeder, Schroeder, however you pronounce it, we just going to call him Denny boy. So Dennis, uh, his cash earnings over his NBA career. Let me make sure you can see this for all my planners out there. Make sure you subscribe, like, do all that good jazz. we got to increase the foot traffic. We've been getting a lot of great comments and feedback. So super excited about just continuing to put this, this information out. Um, so if you look at his earnings over the course of his career, um, looks like in between 2013, all the way through 2021, re remove his most recent signing amount, which is roughly around $6 million, but his NBA full NBA experience in, in earnings, cash earnings is roughly around $70 million. Right? So I said, okay, let's assume Dennis was a good steward of his resources. Let's assume that Dennis wants to represent himself in a way that may not reflect the opportunities that he has at the Lakers. He may say, look, I got and again, we don't know how much he had to pay in taxes. We don't know how much you got to pay your agents and on a good job. But let's say Dennis says, hey, I got, you know, 21 million in the bank, 25 million in the bank. Um, you know, I may get a a hundred million dollar contract. I got enough money to to wait it out, right? I'm living a type of lifestyle, excuse me, I'm living a type of lifestyle that allows me to, instead of being on a team that pays me the most money, I may want to play on a team that in which I can show my full level of capabilities and skill sets. And um, I use this as an example. You know, there's individuals that will take less pay, right? And take sports out of the equation. There's someone that is working at a company in which their previous employer actually paid them more. But due to the headache and the environment, they made a decision to say, I'll actually take less money just for peace of mind. We don't know what that is. So that was my original approach. <laughs> and I'm hoping that Dennis comes out of here and signs a $180 million contract two years from now. I don't know the lifespan of your, of your body, your capabilities. You know, I do follow the Lakers. I'm a Kobe fan. Shout out Kobe. Rest in peace, uh, Mamba. Um, but um, we don't know if that is going to be the case, if you're going to have that, you know, standout season rooting for you, brother, definitely rooting for you. But we don't know if that is going to manifest. Now, as I was doing a little bit more research and I looked into just the situation, some of his, you know, some of the background and, and a few other folks giving reactions, you know, the, as the young folks would say, they would say, all right, good old Denny boy, a.k.a. Dennis Schroeder or Schroeder. They said he fumbled a bag. Um, and I'm leaning more to that side of thinking, uh, really more so as Shannon Sharp said, he didn't fumble the bag. <laughs> he fumbled the suitcase. He fumbled everything. <laughs> he did. just. That's a lot of money, you know, and then it's guaranteed is when, when you're in the NBA. And so that's that's probably one of the biggest differences there. But I wanted to highlight that um, another aspect of his assets that we don't know about. Again, he may have different investments that allows this type of difference to not hit as it hits us. Right. We see 80 million dollars. 
what you doing? You know, but again, he may be sitting on some type of businesses or assets. I'm trying to justify y'all. If y'all don't, <laughs> I'm, try I'm trying, I'm trying, but it, it just not looking good. Uh, but one of the things I do want to highlight and shout him out on is that if you were unaware and shout out DA for sharing this information. So he became the sole owner of his hometown club. Um, and this is a basketball team in Germany um, in which he played prior to going to the Atlanta Hawks. So who knows, right? Like this could be one of those investments that uh, similar to LeBron James when it pertains to a soccer league that he invested in. Again, I don't know the valuation of the team, the uh, different sponsors and the investors in the league and the type of revenue that it generates. And I don't know much about that. Uh, I would love to do a little bit more research into it. Uh, but this could be something that could pay di dividends down the road for good old Denny Boyd. But I did want to highlight that. Hopefully athletes make sure that you have a good team. Um, we don't know the role the agent played and the different advisors that he has around him. And so if that did play a role in the decisions that you made. Um, they need to go, my brother. So, uh, but again, shout out Dennis, blessings to you on your career. And uh, we look forward to following you as things uh, continue. All right. So next topic. So I was talking to a friend of mine and she shared um, some frustration about these folks right here. Zillow shared a lot of frustration, said, Isaac, we've been trying to buy a house. We put in offers on the type of house that we wanted to buy. We felt like that we found our dream home and we put in an offer with pretty much everything the seller wanted fell through. Zillow actually bought the house. What? So I remember probably about early 2020 when I was notified or it came to uh, um, some form of fashion, someone shared with me that Zillow was purchasing homes, you know, and, and, and the way in which I use Zillow historically and even as of recent, is just to, you know, look up the history and things of that nature based off any property. But they are now purchasing homes. Now, one of the unique things about this situation is that she shared that they paid a premium on the asking price, a pretty nice premium on the home. And then not too long later, probably two, three weeks later, they ended up putting the home on the market and jumped the price up. So did a little bit of research, looked into how this has manifested. Um and, and really Zillow's business model around it. So as you can see here, they operate, make sure our audience can see this, all of our planners, especially those that are looking to buy a house, just have this on your radar. So they operate in these cities from Atlanta, Georgia, Austin, Texas, Charlotte, North Carolina, Houston, Texas, Denver, Colorado, Nashville, Tennessee. I'm just pointing out all the cities, which I know I got folks, Raleigh, North Carolina, Jacksonville, Florida, uh, Miami, Florida, um, Las Vegas, all over. Um, Phoenix, I may have said Orlando if I didn't already. But ultimately, you have the ability to be in competition with Zillow when it pertains to purchasing a home. So the situation that was shared with me is that Isaac, they bought the home, jumped up the price, and now put it back on the market. So I actually went on Zillow's site and I said, all right, let me see if we can do some research. Let's see if we can grab some data. So I chose the Atlanta, Georgia market. All right, for our planners, so you could do this on your own. So I chose the Atlanta, Georgia market. 
And on the search filter here, let's see, here we go. You have the ability to select Zillow owned on your search engine. Move in ready homes evaluated and repaired by Zillow. So these are all the homes that Zillow owns. So let's see here. Let's pick this house here. Talk to me. Talk to me, Zillow. All right. So if we go to the price tax history, selling for $575 right now. And if you scroll down, you could see, okay, Zillow bought this house July 7th. 2021 for $532,000. No more than 12 days later, they put that home on the market for 500, hold up, and $91,300. So they buy it for 532. It says, and I, and again, I, I want to make sure I, I speak correctly. It reads, this home was evaluated, repaired, and prepared for listings by Zillow Partners. Now, the whole repairs and all that, we I can't speak to it. So they may have done a few things. The home looks like they probably, you know, put in a few light bulbs and that's it. But ultimately, they jumped up the price to essentially from $232 per square foot to $257 per square foot. Now, those seeing this are saying may say, well, that's that's it. That's part of you know doing business. That's they they buy a house, they want to sell it for a premium. I respect that. This is a technology company, ultimately, that has now gotten into real estate, in which um, and we don't have time now, but if we did review their balance sheet, um, you would see that this part of their revenue stream has been exponentialized when it pertains to the revenue that they're able to generate off of uh, the properties that they've been able to acquire. Uh, uniquely enough, as you know, all of the different search engines and, and zip codes and areas and where they probably see the most traffic, right? Again, we use Zillow to look at houses and pictures and property and information. So they've been able to garner all this data over years, and now they're in the market of real estate. So I would love to bring on a real estate agent to discuss what their concerns are, um, to discuss, you know, any challenges, but also any opportunities that they see, any pros and cons for the uh, residents, any pros and cons for um, uh, just anyone involved, because this is a very interesting situation because, again, you are inflating in some form or fashion. Uh, I've seen so I've seen some call this market unit, excuse me, market manipulation. So very interested to get a few perspectives on this. I wanted to highlight it. Had no clue Zillow was out purchasing homes. That's tough. Yeah. They, you know, they own a front end of the data and they know where the trends are. So um, again, shout out to Zillow with the business model, but sometimes you make sure folks are held accountable. So if there are some if there is a conflict of interest in the process that they're engaging in, we need to ensure that they are um, uh, held accountable to a point that doesn't, uh, I won't say, I won't say it doesn't impact the company, but they just need to be held accountable and whatever yields that, then that's what it is. All right. So we got one more topic about, look, look, looks like we're about 18 minutes in, which is good. We got one more topic. Make sure you subscribe, like, or comment, all that good jazz. One more topic around real estate um, that I thought was quite interesting.
So as you can see here, investment firms are buying all the houses. Huh? <laughs> what, what do you mean? Everybody tells me I, I don't need to buy a home. I need to rent and be flexible. And, and I'm not knocking that. But it's just very interesting to, to look at the trends of those that have assets and see some of the reasoning of them, those individuals or entities on why they make those decisions. So we're going to focus on uh, Invitation Homes. So this is a $21 billion publicly traded company that was spun off from Blackstone. Blackstone is the world's largest private equity company. Uh, I believe, yeah, and this was in 2017. So Invitation Homes operates in 16 cities with the uh, with a pretty big concentration in Atlanta, I believe, uh, where they own about 13,000 houses. Now, one of the unique things about this is that I was, as we were looking into it, we saw that, um, you know, we're in a low interest rate environment right now. And typically people pay a mortgage, you know, we'll just say around two to 4%. With them being backed by essentially one of the largest uh, private equity companies, they have the ability to borrow money for less, Right. So getting billion dollar loans on interest rates around 1.4%, that really means that they can add an additional five or up to even $20,000 on a purchase price because they are getting that house at a at the same actual cost as a typical homeowner due to the difference in the interest rate and their ability to leverage that, you know, essentially the backing of that asset. So you know, they do utilize, you know, cash and debt in regards to their transactions, but a majority of their offers, I want to say all of their offers are typically done in, in, in cash. So with this business model overall, you know, price to, to rent ratios are high. So it makes more sense for consumers or individuals to rent um, than buy. Now, when they are low, it's the opposite, right? It makes more sense to buy and then rent. So Invitation Homes is getting deals really as twice as good as a typical home buyer. They are eating it up um, and, and buying specific houses with the greatest potential to be wealth building for the middle class. So there is this intersection of opportunities that they see in regards of building wealth, not only for the middle class, but also building wealth for themselves that they've been able to position themselves as a we'll just say as a utility to make that happen. So those that are in the market of buying homes, you want to be aware of what you're dealing with from a macro level. Um, and I think that the Zillow information um, and then as well, the and this article came out in June of 2021. So, you know, not even two months ago. Um, and then as well, some of the you know, institutional investments towards um, residential real estate that may impact the price um, or the availability of the property that you're looking into. And as I mentioned earlier, we have a video. So this is our last section. This video, I will be doing a full reaction to um, Anthony Pompliano, who runs the, uh, uh, the world's uh, best business show, um, podcast as they, as they name it, um, highly respect, very intelligent, especially when it pertains to, uh, micro and macro economics, um, uh, been a huge leader when it pertains to the, um, understanding of Bitcoin and its importance into the economy and also the utility within the ecosystem. 
just very, very, very knowledgeable, ton of respect. Um, recently released a video um, discussing the universal basic income and the concept around free money. Um, I'm going to play four minutes of this video so you can hear for yourself what was said. I am going to react to it uh, tomorrow. I'm looking forward to it. There are um, a number of comments that I think should be addressed. And um, so let's go ahead and get right into it. Wants to do is UBI, universal basic income. And many people through the last 12, 15, 18 months thought that these stimulus payments was a testing ground. You know what? Let's give 1200 bucks. Let's give $600. Let's give $1,400 checks. All in all, if you were in the top bracket for stimulus payments, you basically got $3,200 in three separate installments over the last 12, 15 months. Now, the problem with this from people who are critics of universal basic income is that if you guarantee someone that you are going to give them free money. You do not have to have a job. You do not have to work. You do not have to do anything productive. You simply can get a check from the government every single month. They are not incentivized to go get a job. Duh, right? If you don't incentivize people to go to work, then they're not going to go to work. Like, it's not hard to figure that out. Incentives drive the world. Now, what we've seen is during the period where there were stimulus checks, where there was boosters for unemployment and there was generally increase. All right. So I know I'm supposed to wait until tomorrow. I, I just have to quickly, I just got to make a one quick comment. Yes. Um, incentives help push different initiatives. Um, but to use the case of stimulus checks as a test case for universal basic income, <laughs> it is, is it's an incomplete analysis. Um, uh, and it's also insensitive to the different ways in which households have been impacted by the coronavirus, uh, either by losing their job, either being hospitalized by the coronavirus and not being able to work, either their industry severely being impacted by uh, the shutting down uh, mandated by the government and that job not being available, not having the skill set. So there's a number of components that is not taken into consideration in aligning the universal basic income. But again, we're going to get into this tomorrow. We're going to get into this tomorrow. I really shouldn't have said anything, but I could hold it. I could hold it. I could hold it. All right, hold on. A couple more minutes and then we'll, 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 we'll roll. Increased government support, whether that was through eviction moratoriums, student loan uh, uh, lack of payments, et cetera. People did not want to go to work. And so what ended up happening was companies had to keep increasing the amount of pay. So you could argue that the outcome of companies paying employees more ended up being good. But what companies then did was they turned around and they took the higher cost of labor, the higher cost of the actual materials for their products and services, and they passed it on to the customer and they increased prices. What ended up occurring is, well, the government handed out free money in the to the tune of $3,200 per person in some cases. Those people are worse off today than they were before. Their hourly job actually pays them less in purchasing power terms than it did before. The cost of living, based on the official CPI numbers, which we know to be inaccurate, increased the cost of living by 5.4%. It is nuts 
how this has happened. There is a new bill that is proposed in Congress that would send monthly payments, or the new terminology, guaranteed income, of up to $1,200 for adults and $600 for children, following a pilot program across the United States. It's proposed on Friday. It's known as the sending unconditional payments to people overcoming resistance to triumph, which is a crazy name called the Support Act. And the plan is, quote, designed to build a 21st century economy that is reflective of Americans' everyday needs. They definitely went back and wrote that name after thinking of the acronym support, right? Of course. (laughs) By the way, I also pride myself on being able to take complex ideas. Okay. Um, We'll stop there. Like I said, we'll be able to speak to some of the different components, some of the different comments. Uh, I believe the macro lens that uh, Pomp is speaking to, I definitely uh, agree with how inflation has um, eaten into this profile of individuals and households, their ability to be able to participate in a free enterprise system. Um, But we also have to take into consideration the historical events that triggered the their environment um, and also the way the United States has been able to gain this wealth um, uh, um, over the course of our, we'll just say over, over, over the course of history. And so we'll get into it tomorrow. I didn't want to get too deep into it uh, today, but I did at least want to give you a sneak peek of what's to come. Uh, truly appreciate everyone that has joined us. Make sure you share this. Uh, we look forward to providing more information Uh, Make sure you subscribe, Uh, check out our merchandise, stayplanning.com. We got more interviews to come. We got some exciting interviews we'll be uh, sharing next week. Uh, And with that being said, as you know, stay planning.